Okay, Tony Award fans. We don't know much about what's going to happen this year with the competition, but we do know that there are nominations coming out. We're not quite sure how many there will be per category. We're not even sure what's really eligible, and we really don't even know when the date's going to be. But that's never stopped us fearless prognosticators before. I'm Tom O'Neill from Gold Derby. I want you to meet Sam Ekman, our chief Broadway writer, Brian Lipton from City Tour, and many other freelance out- outlets, and the great... Michael Musto from Queer Tea. Uh, Sam, to you, uh, you wrote what I think we all uh, praise as the definitive state of the race of what little or much we know. So take it away. What the hell do we know? Well, it's going to be a bizarre year. It's taken us a lot of long time to get to this point uh, with the nominations finally having a date for that. But what we know is that the season is basically cut in half due to the pandemic. Uh, February 19th is the new eligibility cutoff date. Um, so that sadly cuts out West Side Story and Girl from the North Country, which opened you know, just after that, not enough nominators and voters got in to see those. Uh, so that leaves us with 18 shows. Only four of them are musicals. Uh, there is no musical revival. So that category is gone this year. And uh, the rest are plays. And, you know, it's going to be... Um, what we do know about the category length, you know, how many contenders are in each category is that they're kind of using for this year and this year only, they're going to use the rules they have for the top four show categories will apply to all categories when deciding how many nominees there are. So for instance, best musical uh, only has four contenders. That means the three nominee category. Similarly for like lead actress in a musical, there's only four women eligible for that. So best show rules now applied to those acting categories and there will only be three eligible women. So a lot of the categories will be shrunken down, but um, especially for the musicals, since there's only four of them competing. Um, but the plays are gonna be really competitive because as we know, Broadway always front loads the season in the fall with uh, lots of plays. So, uh, you know, I think it's gonna be a great year for Moulin Rouge and maybe Jag Little Pill to, uh, and Tina Turner to dominate the the musical categories, and the plays will be a lot uh, have a lot of things up in the air. Uh, Michael, we normally uh, appreciate you for your all of your many many expressions of outrage. Where are you on the outro- outrage o meter in terms of how this is being handled? Well, I think they waited a bit too long. The moment is kind of gone. We're all trying to remember. Uh, what show was that again? It was a long time ago. <laughs> it's also a little tragic that, uh, as I just mentioned backstage, that this is the first time I've ever gotten a notice saying, uh, here are the nominees. They're going to be announced next Thursday without saying the winners will be announced on. You know, I, and I actually think, Tom, that what they're waiting for is maybe to try to get a TV station to pick it up. Uh, let's face it, the Emmys were on TV. Uh, the VMAs were on TV. And it is possible it's just not going to be as exciting because none of these shows are available now. Nobody can see them. One of the other tragedies is a show called Six, which is kind of a modern pop diva retelling of uh, the, the Wives of Henry VIII, was opening on the night of the lockdown. They never got to have their opening night party. They never got to even get reviewed, and they're not eligible. Company, the revival of Patti Lapone, uh, Katrina Lake, not eligible. As, as Sam mentioned, the Bob Dylan musical, Girl from the North Country, West Side Story, not eligible. They didn't invite enough Tony nominees or nominators uh, to make the cut. 
Uh, next year we'll have a clean start over if they really do start the season on June 1st, as they're saying, and that'll be the next batch of Tony eligibility. Okay, Brian, pipe in here. What do you think? Well, one thing, I, there are a couple things I want to point out that make this year particularly interesting. Um, there's always been sort of a conventional wisdom that closed shows don't win or people in closed shows don't win because it doesn't boost business. Obviously, everything is a closed show. We have no idea if any of these shows will even reopen when and if Broadway reopens. So that sort of makes it a very different kind of slate. As Michael said, and I agree, I think we waited so long that it's hard to remember everything we saw, but that's out of the way. I think the other thing that makes us predicting nominations and even awards this year a little trickier is that the usual other groups that predict Outer Critics and Drama Desk and Drama Critic Circle, all of which I am a member of, um, leaned completely heavily to Off-Broadway this year. We uh, not, Those groups basically ignored Broadway. So we can't really even look and say, well, they gave the award to blah, 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 um, which we often do. So we're working on a really blank slate here and trying to figure out both our nominations and our eventual winners. And that's different than any other year that I can remember doing this. And that's an awfully long time. Uh, okay, so now it's time for any one of you uh, gutsy pundits to uh, make a proclamation who's out front. Do we have formidable front runners? To yes. Win yes. And what yes, I think we do. Well, all right. Can I start? Yeah. Um, I think the one sure thing, even though there were, as, as Sam pointed out, the musical categories are very short, probably three in each. But I think the surest bet for this year is Adrian Warren as Tina in the Tina Turner musical. Mm -hmm. um, no disrespect to both. Uh, Elizabeth Stanley, brilliant to Jagged Little Pill, and Karen Olivo, who was charismatic in Moulin Rouge. But I think this was absolutely not only the performance of the year, maybe even a performance of the decade. And I think that is the strongest front runner that we have in any race this year. Comments? Yeah. She would have won in, in even a full season, I think. It's just um, the, one of the biggest star turns you could hope to see. Uh, so, Elizabeth Stanley's great, and I'm glad she's finally going to get a nomination because she's been working for a long time without one. But Adrian Warren is so far out front in this. So last last year Cher won, and this year Tina Turner is going to win. We're working our way through the divas, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Next year, Cindy Lauper. <laughs> Hopefully not Michael Jackson. <laughs> Whoa! Well, he's coming. Um, and then I agree. Yeah, I agree. Adrian. We really need to talk about has only two possible nominees, um, Aaron Tveit in Moulin Rouge and Chris McCarroll in The Lightning Thief, which gives the Tony committee three options. They can eliminate the category entirely. They can award it to Aaron outright, or they can nominate both people and let the voters decide. And I'm really curious what Sam and Michael, you think they're going to do. I think eliminating the category would be a mistake, and it's unfair to Aaron, who's really fantastic. Mm -hmm. Isaac Powell obviously would have been a great contender as well for West Side Story, no. but that show wasn't eligible. Um, whether they get rid of the category, just give it to Aaron, or have the category and give it to Aaron, just give it to Aaron. I think they're going to keep it because, you know, especially with the news like that the shutdown is extending, we all know that it's going to be at least June, but maybe longer. This is an industry that just needs a lot of good news and goodwill. So it seems rather cruel to sort of strike down a category. Um, and I should add, add for people at home that 
they have those three options because when it's only two people that are eligible, each nominator gets a yes, no ballot uh, for each of them. So they'll say, Aaron Tveit, is he worthy of a nom nomination? Yes or no. Chris McCarroll, is he worthy of a nomination? Yes or no. So that's why those three options are there. But um, I, I think and hope they're going to keep the category and it'll just be a two nominee category like the year with um, Glenn Close and Rebecca Luker when Glenn won for Sunset Boulevard. I'm sorry. I, I kind of agree with you, Sam, in, in the goodwill that even though I don't think Chris McCarroll has that many fans, although he may have been one of the better parts of the Lightning Thief, I think it would be kind of cruel in a way to take him off the ballot. Just let the voters decide. I'm pretty sure the nominators know how this is going to play out anyway. So, you know, what harm does it do to give the kid a Tony nomination or however old he is? I'm pretty well, sure that Lightning I don't think that's going to extend to other parts of the Lightning Thief where I do think they may remove it from the ballot, um, uh, especially with the other three musicals that are eligible. I'm certain that Lightning Thief will not win anything because <laughs> Tonys do not want the words Tony winning Lightning Thief because it was probably the worst reviewed musical of the year. Um, and I think when we get to the category of best score, I think Lightning Thief has a good chance of being nominated, but I think they will give the award to a straight play. It could be The Rose Tattoo, it could be Slave Play or The Inheritance. Which had incidental music, and they will deem that, or, or Christmas Carol as well. No, they Christmas were, Carol, they deemed ineligible, actually. Oh, is that right? Yeah. There's too much too many, Christmas music. Too many Christmas carols. <laughs> well, whatever it is, I think it was. it's not going to be Lightning Thief picking up that award, but I think that's a good chance for them to get nominated. Yeah. If you will bear with me for a second, I've never tried this function in StreamYard before, which is the the platform we're using. I want to share a screen with you. Let me see if I can. Um, get away with this. This is riveting. We're shivering in anticipation. <laughs> oh, gorgeous. Do you see the odds from Gold yes. Derby here? Yeah, but All right. So this is the odds from Gold Derby. Uh, as they stood the day we heard, you know, oops, Tony's aren't happening, you know, at least for now the way they they uh, they were planned. So just for the heck of it, let's just look at this list here. Uh, this was uh, involved about six, seven hundred people. And I don't even know how long we gave them, maybe only five or six days to make. But of course, most of those shows are not eligible, Tom. Yeah. So no offense to, to your readers, but. That was a list. We based didn't on know that at the time, of course. But uh, well, is there I did. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay. Well, speak up. Tell <laughs> screwing up again. Well, of the eligible shows, I think it was going to be a showdown. I mean, Girl from the North Country is not eligible, but we all thought the season was probably going to be a showdown between that and Moulin Rouge. And for the last like eight hundred years, the Tonys have picked for best musical an off-Broadway show that was already and was kind of worked on and came to Broadway, whether it be Fun Home, Hamilton, etc. In this case, though, I really thought Moulin Rouge was going to go all the way. And now, especially without Girl from the North Country in the running, it's definitely getting the top prize. As well as supporting actor for Danny Burstein, who's had 8,000 tons of nominations. Yeah. <laughs> Finally going to be his year, I think. Okay, we're going to go to the play again. And, uh, we, and, of course, the whole point is to ridicule these stupid predictions based no, on no. we didn't have the facts. But... Well, this one holds. Here's the lineup of best plays. What observations do you have? I, I think Slave Play is going to beat Inheritance. I wouldn't agree with that. I loved Inheritance. But it was greeted with a kind of eh. 
Uh, it was not a hit and the critics found it derivative. Slave play, I think people overreacted to and overpraised it, but it was extremely topical. It showed the kind of fetishization of fetishization of racism and was really bold. It was not your typical Broadway fair, let's face it. I think they're gonna oh, go going back to what you said, Michael. Um, like with the musicals, Slave Play had an off-Broadway production first. Uh, the Broadway production was almost identical, except for one major one major cast change. Um, it is, of course, racially diverse. It's provocative. It's all those things. Um, and I think there is some backlash about the inheritance being seven hours. And I think most people, and I'm speaking not just for myself, but I think for a lot of voters who felt like it would have been better either in as just the first part or, you know, maybe if you cut it down to four hours, five hours, but it seemed really self-indulgent to a lot of people. And I think that's going to hurt its chances of winning the big award. What do you think, Sam? I actually think that the inheritance takes it. I know we can't really use them as great uh, barometers this year, but it did win uh, the Drama Desk, uh, as well as a few acting awards and director, one for Lois Smith and Paul Hilton, who are both very deserving. Um, I just, I think the battle is definitely between those two. Um, but something about Slave Play, even though it was praise, it was also very divisive and people walk out either having a, you know, very visceral negative reaction to it or really loving it. And that can kind of hurt you when it comes time to, time for awards voting. So uh, it feels like the inheritance is a bit more big and grand and um, was also important, even though uh, Slave Play feels a bit more timely for right now. But I think I give a slight edge to the inheritance, actually. I would agree with you in some ways, Sam, but I'm going to bring up maybe the, the elephant in the room. I mean, this is definitely the year of celebrating diversity. Mm -hmm. We saw that at the Emmy Awards. We saw that even in um, a lot of the off-Broadway off awards. Um, and the inheritance got a lot of backlash about really focusing on the white gay community. There were only a couple of black people in the ensemble. Um, it was basically about three you know, white boys. Um, do you think that's gonna play a factor and have people vote? Because I think it might be this year. I do, and I also feel that if, if people were offended by slave play, which was pretty graphic. I don't think they sat there applauding The Inheritance, which had a long monologue about bathhouse anonymous sex, had a hustler character. It was not Mary Poppins Returns. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also written by a Latinx writer. Um, so it does have, you know, it's not like it's not representing anyone. Yes, but he also got a lot of flack for not even including his own community as one of the, and I like Matthew a lot, so that's not my point, but- Well, he did he have the belly bother to make one of his main characters. He did have wow. Belize character, and that's, as I mentioned, critics noted the derivativeness of it. I didn't find that a problem. I thought it was a homage, but there was definitely the Belize character from Angels in America. There was the banter from Boys in the Band. There was a normal heart in there. There was uh, love, valor, compassion. It felt like almost a patchwork of, of gay classics. Okay, I'm going to share screen again, and we're going to scroll down. Just, uh, I think it's fascinating to. Just take a look back of where we where we thought this race was pre-COVID and where it is now. Here's Best Musical Revival. Three contenders there. Company, West Side Story. West Side Story got bumped, didn't it? Everything, yes. Um, Everything's gone. And, and, and just to clarify what Sam said, because people have asked me about this. Because both West Side, although they changed really what they considered the eligibility date, the reason they did that, 
although Westlight Story and Girl from the North Country opened, uh, normally that would be your barometer. But you have to have invited all of your Tony voters to be eligible for Tony Awards. You have eight weeks to do that from your opening. I have it on good authority. I'm sure you do too. They did not invite all of their Tony voters within those eight weeks. Um, Girl from the North Country had like eight days. Westside Story had a month that they were waiting till later on, not knowing this was going to happen. And that's why they're not even in the running anymore. Yeah. Well, Westside Story was also dealing with several cast members being in and out of the show. So I think yeah. they also wanted to wait to get the voters in to see them. But then that ended up hurting them in this case. Well, it could be up for Oscars because it was really basically a movie. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of videos. A lot of videos. Well, Eva loves his videos. And there is also a West Side Story real movie coming out eventually. <laughs> next year, probably. Um, if you don't mind, Tom, going back, one thing about the inheritance that I think we'd all like to discuss um, is that three of the actors are up for Best Actor, which is by and large the most competitive category of this Tony season. There are 13 actors eligible, including some of the biggest movie stars and stage stars in the world. And whether or not how many of them, if, well, some of them, but if any of them get a slot when there are also three guys from The Inheritance really is a big question for us. I believe, um, but he didn't have his co-stars as competition. So I'm kind of curious what you two think is going to really happen here. I think Kyle Stoller from The Inheritance is going to get the nomination. He really is the lead. He doesn't have the most explosive role. He's more reactive for the most part. I thought Andrew Burnap was the most extraordinary one in the whole play. He was radioactively charismatic. Um, Samuel H. Levine was also great as one of his two characters. I didn't love him in the other character. But I think Stoller is getting the nomination. I think the winner will be Tom Hiddleston for Betrayal, just based on the critical reception. And the fact that he's a, a movie name. I think both Soller and Andrew Burnap will get in. Like, I don't, it just seems that we're so far away from these plays now because the nominations are coming out, you know, over a year in some cases from when the plays were, we're really going to see what has stuck in people's minds. The, you know, those Tony moments, the big monologues, the big explosive moments, the big solo numbers that stick in people's minds. And I just feel like Andrew Burnap has a dozen of those moments from uh -huh. the inheritance. So I think he'll get a nomination. I don't know if he'll win. I think Samuel H. Levine really belongs in featured and that might, you know, sort of end up with him being kicked from such a competitive category. Um, but uh, Tom Hiddleston seems like a, a good shot there. I also think Ian uh, Barford from Linda Vista, even though some people were hot and cold on his play that, you know, his performance was such a dominant force, he could stand a good chance of getting nominated. I agree with you on that one. I mean, I think that was probably the bravest performance I saw of the whole year. And for that, I would certainly be um, very open if I was a nominator to nominating him. But we realized that in the discussion, we're not talking about people like Tom Sturridge, Jake Gyllenhaal, Jonathan Price, Brian Cox, people who in any other year would almost be like slam dunks and who all did very worthy work, um, some maybe more than others. Um, and I think there's a good chance that they'll just be left off the list, which is almost oh, mind-boggling. Charlie Cox, Blair Underwood, Michael Shannon, Campbell yes. Scott. It's really a great category, despite the half of the season. 
Yeah. Uh, what category? I'm I'm always on the wrong category on the screen here. I'm. I oh, well, that's the viewer, what, what category uh, are we focusing on next? Best actor in uh, oh best next actor, week. Actress in a musical. Uh, best actress in a play. Sure. Since we just ditch. Let's ditch all the actors. <laughs> <laughs> We've given them enough time. I think for actress, it's going to be Mary Louise Parker for The Sound Inside. Uh, people were wondering how she was going to compete against herself because there was going to be the revival of How I Learned to Drive. Uh, her closest competitor would probably be Laura Linney. I wasn't that crazy about that one-person show. And also Joaquina Calucango for Slave Play. But you also have Eileen Atkins, you have Audrey McDonald, you have Maurice Tomei, Zoll Ashton, another good category. It's an, I agree with everything Michael just said. Um, I hope I really hope Mary Louise Parker gets it. I think that was an extraordinarily difficult role. Um, and I think she handled it miraculously. Um, Mary Louise has a habit of always being a little bit Mary Louise and yet somehow or another becoming whatever character she's playing. And she did that. Um, I admit I'm also a huge fan of Laura Linney, but I double what you said, Michael. Not only did I really dislike that play, I thought it was boring as hell. Yeah. I honestly thought it was the worst performance I've ever seen Laura give probably in any medium. And I wrote that. So she knows that I didn't like. I felt the director probably said, don't ever pause for breath. Just keep going. Don't lose the audience. So but it was also kind of a boring character. She wasn't, I mean, even though it was a multi-character play, I mean, I could see how it would work as a book on the page. It didn't really work for me on the stage. Um, and there's nothing sentimental here. I mean, both Mary Louise and Laura already have Tonys in every other award, so it's not like, oh, Laura we have doesn't to have a Tony. Who? Laura doesn't have a Tony yet. Little Foxes, no? No, Cynthia no. Nixon won for Little Foxes. No, so. but Cynthia was supporting Laura was lead, and Laura did win, I think. No, no, Cynthia won. Cynthia was supporting. Yeah, and she won, but Laura didn't win. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so I don't I think anybody needs Laura Lenny to have another award on her shelf. Well, I know a lot of people are kind of predicting her uh, because she's overdue, they think, and they want her to finally win. But I also think on top of people not loving that particular play as much as others this season, it was only open for a short amount of time. And there's just no way that all the Tony voters got in to see it. Um, so I, I think, you know, Mary Louise Parker in what I think is the best performance she's given to date is definitely going to take this category. What next category should we take? How do we do the acting and the musicals? We did the uh, the actor and actor. Uh, we did actor and actor. Yeah, I mean, Adrian Walker. Is it Walker or Warren? I'm so stupid. Warren. She is, as you said, a slam dunk. Uh, I didn't think anybody could approximate Tina Turner. She made it her own, just like Stephanie J. Block made Cher her own. And uh, what she goes through on stage, literally getting beaten and picking herself up again and... She, She's triumphant, just as Tina Turner has been. Now, one thing that's interesting is you scroll, Tom, is on this early list before we knew what was happening. And I think all of us here would have expected Jane Alexander to compete as best actress in a play. And then the producers of Grand Horizons decided not to elevate her because of billing out of featured. Um, and now they've left her in the featured actress category where some people think, well, she's Jane Alexander. She really commanded the whole play. She is a seven-time Tony nominee. Her only win was in 1969. Think she's going to take it. But as Michael and Sam pointed out to me in a pre-chat, 
Um, there's really a huge amount of support for Lois Smith in the inheritance, even though it's what a 10 minute role. Yeah, but, but what a 10 minutes. Lois has never won. Yeah. No, Lois has never won. I think, you know, New York, she's Lois Smith is such a New York actor. And the fact that she doesn't have a Tony, I think people are gonna fall over themselves to award her. And it's you know, she fully commands the stage for that time that she's on. It's a amazing scene that she gets. So I think, you know, for someone who's been in the business for as many decades, what is it, like seven decades now that she's been in the business? Yeah, I believe she started in the 50s. Uh, so it's like she's one of our premier, uh, you know, Sam Shepard interpreters, and she's just beloved in this community. So I think even though it's a small role and it was only in part two, I think she still is out front for me. My and only, Jane, my Jane Alexander has competition from her own show with Ashley Park, who I, I think was extremely funny in that play. So yes. she splits support. But Priscilla Lopez stole the show, let's face it. She was very good, too. The whole cast of Grand Horizons did. did right. If any, if any show this year made a really good case, I think, for the Ensemble Award, which we never seem to get from the Tonys, and I pray you guys change that. I think Grand Horizons actually is probably the best example, certainly from this season, especially with Girl from the North Country not being around, that we need some sort of an ensemble award to salute those kind of casts where everybody is really good and they come together as one. Uh, what's, what next category have I uh, skipped over? Uh, we haven't talked about featured actress in a musical. This is a slam dunk for Lauren Patton as the angry lesbian in Jagged Little Pill. She first does great with hand in pocket, you know, just soars with it. And then you know she's going to get angry and do the big song, which is you want to know how she's going to do it. Is she going to do it as good as Alanis? And she hits it out of the park. And I think I, you're totally right about Lauren. I think the interesting thing we have to discuss is how many of her co-stars are going to join her in that category, because both Celia Rose Gooding and um, Catherine, Catherine Gallagher. I think they're all going to nominate. Um, I think all three of them nominations. Yeah, I think all three of them are locked for nominations. Lauren Patton, Celia Rose Gooding, who's Lashonda's daughter, by the way, yeah. and, and Catherine Gallagher are all going to get nominated. I think also Robin Herter from Moulin Rouge. And then somebody from Tina, maybe Myra Lucretia Taylor. Actually, I think that one might only have four slots, won't it? There might only be enough contenders for four slots with that one, because it's- And it's true, if they wanted to make really fun history, they could just nominate LaShawn's for a Christmas Carol, although that's a guess (laughs) play, not a musical. But we could do the whole mother-daughter thing, but- Well, we had uh, Rosemary Harris and Jennifer Ely years ago. And they were against each other, and Jennifer won. And Rosemary was fine. And they never spoke again. I'm kidding. Um, do we think but anybody then, else has? I, I agree. Robin Herder was fabulous. But do we really think anybody else has a chance in this, in the supporting category at this point? No, there aren't any other options. And uh, the only other option I can think of is uh, I don't know quite how to pronounce her name, but Jalen Steele or Jalen Steele from The Lightning Thief. Even though that wasn't the most popular show, she was pretty hysterical in it. Um, and, you know, she could take down someone like Robin Herter, who mostly has a dance role, even though we've had people like Karen Ziemba and Corinne Plantedy win for dance performances in the past. But um, I think Robin Herter is pretty safe in there at this point. Uh, what next category? 
Well, we talked about Danny Burstein as feature actor in a musical, but we could talk about who else we think is going to join him. You know, who are yeah. the other losers? <laughs> um, I think Sean, Am Sean Allen Krill from Jagged Little Pill. He was the father. Tam Mutu from Moulin Rouge. Ryan Knowles from Lightning Thief. Tam Mutu, really? Over uh, they have Argentina? They have to fill the category. Yeah, well, but what about, and and does anybody else think it's surprising that given their chance to actually add Daniel J. Watts to leading, they because they really had the chance to do it twice, they chose not to for playing Ike Turner. Well, he has another. He has a good chance as well for for feature. He's really. I think he's going to get into feature, but he's really he's featured. It's not like. Adrian Morin is just the show. You go right. in and it's I, no, I agree with you totally. So I'm just uh, talking about I what I think producers get like in. Yeah. Um I, I think looking at the main season, I don't think he would have gotten nominated in lead, you know, if we were looking at the full right. season. Um, but featured was his better bet for a nomination. I think he could still get in. Um it's the biggest of the featured roles in, in Tina, but I think when you look at who is the lead, it's it's not a male and female duo leading it. It's Adrian Warren leading it. I just said Thursday they should just say the winner is Danny Burstein. Let's face it, this is the biggest slam dunk since like Julia Roberts won the Oscar. I mean, you know, and this isn't even like oh he's been nominated so many times. It's a lifetime. It's a makeup. He deserves it too. Yeah, he plays the Joel Gray role. He's like the bisexual MC or gay actually, and uh, <laughs> does a fantastic job. And I think Moulin Rouge is going to win all those categories, like set design, costume, yeah. writing, direction of musical. It's going to yeah, be. I was going to say, say, speaking, speaking of slam dunks, and we don't have to go into the design categories, but I do think Derek McLean's design for Moulin Rouge is the other true slam dunk of this season. I mean, mind you, we had the biggest budget of anybody I've ever seen. I mean, I think, what did they do? Spend $26 million? to create that show, but you could see every penny of it when you walked into the Hirschfeld. And I, at least as a theater goer, really, really appreciate that. But sometimes when you read the budgets and then you go to the show and you go, I'm sorry, where's the money? <laughs> that never entered my mind in Moulin Rouge. I knew where the money was. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty big wow factor. But, but um, I would just want to go back to Michael, what you said for, instead of Tam Mutu, I think, um, Sar Nagaja from who plays Toulouse stands a better chance as the co-star to join Danny Burstein. He just has a much more fun physical role that gets a little bit more stage time, I think. They are about two feet off the off the ground, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> joking, joking. I okay, well, how many people from Moulin Rouge do you think they're gonna nominate in that category? Just him and Danny? Uh, I think just him and Danny, and then I have Daniel J. Watts from Tina. I think and hope that. Uh, Ryan Knowles from The Lightning Thief uh, will be some representation for that show because whatever mm -hmm. you think about the show, he was hysterical. Um, I th still think of his Paul Lind as Hades uh, impression. And um, I think Sean Allen Krill from Jack Little Pill. I want to give a second, a second shout out to Ryan Knowles. I mean, obviously this is truly Danny's year, but if not, I would almost honestly be tempted to have voted for Ryan. Um, his His chameleonic way of going in and out of roles. And of course, as you pointed out, his, his brilliant sense of humor was really the saving grace of the lightning thief, probably other than being a Tony voter, the only reason I stayed for the second act. <laughs> <laughs> Between Daniel J. Watts and Sean Allen Krill, 
which of you, which of those two are you two guys picking for a nomination? Daniel. Uh, I'm picking Daniel. Okay. Well, I think they're both going to get in because I don't think Tam Mutu is going to get in. And nobody thinks Derek Lana for Jagged Little Pill has a chance. He's the son who kind of sees the rape and doesn't say anything. Right. <laughs> he sings really well, but the role doesn't, at least to me, at this re removed point from seeing right. it months and months and months ago, I have, again, those moments that stick out. I have moments like that from Sean Allen Krill. I don't, I remember him, Derek Klein is singing really well and belting his face off, but I don't have that same like moment that sticks out in my head that goes, wow, you know. Yeah, I think, I, the problem, I think the problem is so far away from it. Sorry, Sam. I think my issue with both um, Derek and, and Sean, I think neither getting nominated is not nothing to do with them. I think it has to do with the writing of their roles. Um, I think Diablo Cody did a brilliant job in crafting the women of Jagged Little Pill. I think for whatever reason, she really just dropped the ball. I'll leave it at that, at crafting the men of Jagged Little Pill. They were basically ciphers. I spent most of the show wondering why they were even on stage. I really think Jagged Little Pill would have been a better show if it was just about the women of that community. Um, they, they were plot devices at best, and neither of those actors, to me, while being good, were good enough to overcome that. That takes maybe another level of acting to do that. So you want to eliminate men from the theater? <laughs> Never. Never. I just want to eliminate men from that show. <laughs> You're like the opposite of Amy Coney Barrett. <laughs> Uh, by, the, by, by the way, well, Sam, I think in another year, frankly, Jagged Little Pill would have been the front runner going back to Miss Cody. I do blame it on her. That show had so many plot lines and tried to tell so many stories. It's like she was writing a miniseries. Nobody told her she was writing a two and a half hour musical. It's like we've adopted a biracial, bisexual, <laughs> bifurcated, <laughs> by everything. <laughs> But, bye, it, but, bye, it worked, bye. but it worked and it got a rave in the times. You're not going to get me started on that, are you, Michael? <laughs> no, let's not go there. Uh, among the shows that we lost because of this truncated Tony season, some will be back, but which ones will not ever be back in all likelihood? And they are huge losses. I mean, that would, that, that, are, that, that, that could have been big Tony winners and just aren't coming because everything fell apart financially, cast, whatever. Are those are there examples? I think the Martin McDonough play, Hangman, which I saw off Broadway was absolutely brilliant. Could have easily won the Tony for best play. Yeah, they, for, we're not coming back. Would, flat out, we're not coming back. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they're going to be able to remount Girl from the North Country. It's it's an expensive show. Um, it did get great reviews. It was picking up some box office, but the fact that they haven't really brought it up makes me wonder if they're going to cut their losses such as it is. Um, and on a personal note, as much as I really enjoyed Six, don't kill me, everybody. I'd be perfectly happy if it ended up in New World stages when this was over, because it really, to my mind, didn't belong on the Brooks Atkinson stage. But what can we say is definitely coming back. We know Music Man will open. They announced, uh, right. believe it or not, a February 2022 opening with pre previews starting in December. 
Um, we know the Plaza Suite with Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker will undoubtedly come back, don't you think? Yes. Uh, company, we think, will come back with Patty LuPone and Katrina Lang. Mm -hmm. Probably. Uh, Army Hammer gave an interview saying that Tracy Let's the Minutes is going to come back. Anybody care? I'm sorry, Sam. What I think is interesting too is thinking about how the landscape will shift because when things do come back, it's going to take a while to ramp up. And I just wonder how financially feasible it will be to have these bigger, more expensive musicals that target tourists who may or may not be coming back to the city right. and when things are back. Um, for many, many years now, Broadway has you know, depended on these na national and international tourists. And does there have to be a pivot towards you know, towards a more local audience, which plays tend to get more local audiences. So there might be more plays, which can be less expensive. Girl from the North Country is a bit more serious fare. It's not on its surface, at least a tourist show. So maybe there is hope for that to come back if they sort of shift and kind of target that um, local audience for a while. But I think there there's going to be a shift like that, um, which which may hurt some some big big touristy blockbusters for a bit. How will finances change things? In other words, um, it's often been said and uh, uh, widely believed that the musical that has the best potential for a roadshow is going to end up winning best musical because they, for a while anyway, they, I don't know if they still do, had the largest or one of the largest voting blocks. And that seemed to have been a kind of selfish vote uh, whatever whatever show could make the most money out there was suddenly somehow the best of the year. A lot of those pressures are gone from uh, from different areas now. Um, how how might money or lack of it or lack of a continuation of a show because of COVID's continuance? Uh, how, how many? Did, how many of those will, will we have lost? I think Sam made a really good point. I think a lot of things that are really tourist driven and also have been very long running will probably close up shop. I mean, if Cameron McIntosh wants to spend all his money to keep running Phantom, even though everybody in New York has probably seen it, that's his business. If Mark Platt is as smart as I think he is, he'll just make a wicked movie and not worry about reopening it at the Gershwin. Um, I, so I think finances will change that. I think it goes back to what Sam says. We're going to see more and more shows that have to appeal to people in New York City or at least the tri-state area. What also makes me a little wary of that is I wonder if that will end up increasing the whole movie star bit that we've seen. Yeah, yeah. Trend. You know, we still all love our movie stars. You were saying, Michael, that Army Hammer says the minutes will come back. All right. Is Army Hammer a big enough star? to get people to pay money to go see him in the theater? Yeah. Um, or will they rethink, I mean, nothing against Army Hammer, who I've never met, and I think he's a good actor. But, you know, I'm starting to think, you know, how much sarcasting are we really need, gonna need to do to get this rolling at the beginning? Um, do we need to add more stars to the cast of the minutes? And interestingly enough, while well, you said you think it's pretty sure it's opening, I'm pretty sure it's not, because I, I actually talked to Tracy Letts last year about the play. He wanted it up now because even though I didn't see it, apparently it had a lot to do with the 2020 election in its own way. Um, it may not feel relevant after November 3rd. Hopefully lots of things won't be relevant after November 3rd. 
but um, it's also about 10 or 11 people. It's not like a four person play. And I think we're gonna see a lot more of those. I mean, you could produce the sound inside for the rest of your life. It's two people. You can produce How I Learned to Drive if you really want to. It's five people in one set. You could probably produce that on a million dollars or $2 million if you spend money. Those shows, Tom, are I think what we will see. I think John Doyle is gonna get a lot of work. <laughs> I think he's going to redirect Moulin Rouge and they're all going to be playing tambourines. <laughs> well, maybe we, his assassin can transfer from off-Broadway. Or, or He did a lot of good work that actually could have been on Broadway. I also think stock in plexiglass is going to go up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and there are going to be a lot of one-person shows and, which are the bane of my existence. Yeah. Well, Brian, wow. to your point, to your point about... Um, you know, what will change. I think we're also going to see, you know, with star casting, it might not need to be the biggest stars in the world because I think it will come out in piecemeal. Not every show is going to be able to jumpstart and get right into it. Right. Um, and so there will be fewer shows at first that open. And I think, um, I feel like perhaps the nonprofits or at least some of them may open first because everybody is asking for money. Everybody is searching for those big donors right. who can offset the loss in ticket sales for-profit production like Wicked or, you know, like Moulin Rouge cannot do that. They don't have that leeway, but a nonprofit company, if Lincoln Center Theater wants to go after some mega donors and say, we're going to reduce the capacity of the house to 25% and get these people to uh, offset those costs, then they could do that. So that could be an option for what we see first. True. And, and one of the things we haven't really discussed is the amount of new artistic directors or associate artistic directors of those nonprofits, um, many, if not all of whom are people of color. And I think that may change the landscape as well of, of what's getting produced from these nonprofits, whether it's on Broadway or off Broadway. Um, so we might see a very different landscape that way. Do you guys agree? Yeah, and I think you know there's such there's been such a movement um, like over you know the BIPOC demands for white American theater and people demanding uh, equity and equality on stage. So I think uh, even whether or not there is a new artistic director of these places, I think the conversation has just been moved so forcefully in that direction that the lens will have to change in terms of what stories whose stories are highlighted. I think a lot of these shows have seemed very foolish and continually announcing our new opening is March. No, it's April. No, it's May. No, it's June. It's like, take a chill pill, drink your hydrochloroquine. And uh, <laughs> how many times do you want to put tickets on sale that have to refund the money? Michael, Michael stop, stop being bitchy. <laughs> They're all just being in the spirit of the show must go on. Um, you just told Michael. Dates are wrong. Stop being. You're crazy. Sam, you're right. Maybe we won't see everything star driven, but I think the music man is the ultimate example of Scott Rudin, who is the smartest mm -hmm. man on Broadway, if not something else. You know, he's not given up his chance to put Hugh Jackman back on Broadway, no matter what. He will just. Yeah, he already has the billboard out. He said, right. I don't care about I mean, Corona. The billboard's coming up. <laughs> But right. I mean, the, kid who, the kid who was playing the kid who was playing the Ron Howard role is now forty. I hear he's, he's going to play Harold Hill, and you's going to be the mayor. 
Uh, we're going to wrap up here with ten comments. Character from younger to play a very young librarian. We're going to end up with two questions uh, from our uh, live stream here. First, and I'll put them on the screen. First is from Robert O, who asks, "Is Gold Derby going to have Tony nomination events in the Prediction Center?" The answer is yes. Once we know what they are, and uh, I hope you give me a lot of credit, all of you watching this video and listening to the podcast for us having put up those really bad predictions back when we thought that was the race. We we you know we have our our Oscar predictions up seven months before the Oscars are out. I mean, this is how brave we are. With, you are. And so, yes, we... Uh, before uh, the movies are even made. I know. But, <laughs> and you know what? We tend to be 50% right wow. in predictions. Like, you know, it's, it's really... It's you really, should stick uh, with that because by the end of the year, you're 30%. <laughs> I know, I know. Actually, uh, I'm going to publish this soon at a section of Gold Derby. You can see where... Uh, uh, the collective odds, uh, the collective percentage of winners are, in in general, we get about 72, 74% right of the uh, of the Tonys, but and and the Oscars and the rest that we kind of balance in there. But if you go back and have the guts to go all the way back to August during a normal Oscar cycle, let's say, which would be February, and say, what were they predicting then? Yeah, we were predicting Patricia Arquette for Boyhood, and yeah, we were predicting, and then on and on and on. And you realize, are they? And in many cases, we hadn't seen them. Are, are they really that predictable? And in many cases, of course, the answer is yes. The final comment from our video stream here is, I believe this is you, Sam, loving the Bauhaus <laughs> poster on the wall. I have one similar. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Enjoy my art gallery behind me. Yes, I purposely made this dim because I don't want anybody to come to this apartment and steal my very valuable artwork. <laughs> um, your readers always zoom in on the important issues. Yes. I know they do. We can we really powerhouse poster. I don't know, <laughs> Sam. They managed to look at the poster and not you. Good for them. <laughs> what does that say about me? It's Sam? what it says about them. Trust me. <laughs> but you know, I own and I have it in the other room to. And some of you have seen it, but I personally own the Tony Award won by Richard Barr as producer of the year for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. I bought it from his estate sale. So I have this vast personal collection of historic show business awards, but that is one of my most prized possessions that that um, uh, that I could own Richard Barr's um, uh, courageous, courageous uh, Tony win for having managed to bring that play to Broadway after it was snubbed by the Pulitzers and, and screwed over by so many other people and the rest of it. And the Tonys rose to the occasion and said, you know what, we're not only gonna give this thing best play, we're gonna give Richard Barr, who also had produced Boys in the Band, I mean, this heroic character in American theater, we're gonna give him an award as producer of the year. And um, next time we get together, I'll put it up on screen so you can all, well, Tom, if you can predict who's going to die in the next few months, you could probably also predict the Lifetime <laughs> Achievement Award, but <laughs> that might be a little bit beyond capabilities, or maybe not. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, we will do this again once we figure out who's actually on the ballot and how the uh, how it all plays out. But boy, it's exciting, and I, and I do salute, as I'm sure you do, the Tonys, for saying the show will go on 
God knows what it's going to be. But on the other hand, I thought the Emmys did a pretty darn good job putting yeah. on an entertaining show. Yes, the uh, uh, viewership was 25% over last year, but that follows the trend of the Oscars and all the major award shows, which tend to be down 50% over the past 10 years. Um, and that's just the state of this awards game. And it's uh, it's not actually that fewer people are even seeing it. They're, what they're doing with these award shows is they're chopping them up into moments, sharing them on YouTube and Instagram and the rest of it, and people are getting to see that way. And you know what? That's probably a good thing. On that final note, thank you, gentlemen. We'll reconvene soon. Thank you very much for your thoughts. Thank you, Tom, Sam, Michael. Bye, guys. Bye, all.